listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you guys? Hi. I'm actually looking at you uh, for this episode because, yes, I recorded this on video as well as audio. Um, and I did it for a very specific reason. Uh, because today, our show is about voiceover acting, voiceover talent. And uh, our guest on the show is an amazing VO actress. Um, I fell in love with her performance while playing Cyberpunk 2077, the video game that sucked up so much time out of my life. <laughs> the game that uh, made me into an anti-social sniper, just uh, taking headshots where I could, collecting guns, breaking them down, and then rebuilding weapons. That was my life for a few weeks uh, when I played that game. Have you guys played it? Now, I know that this game got a lot of slack, right? This, this game got a lot of shit because of its release. And if you are a console user, then everybody was pissed off because the game wasn't running smoothly on the new consoles. Um, but I'm just gonna say it. Uh, the game kicked ass on my Puget system. And you've heard me talk about Puget's as a sponsor on the show. Uh, I have this beefy, really great editing <laughs> system that wasn't being used because of COVID. Uh, and so I put it through its paces uh, with the Cyberpunk game and it rocked, it ruled. Um, and it's been a long time since I've played a video game and since I've got this lost in a video game. Uh, but really what sucked me in with A, the graphics are fantastic. B, it's cyberpunk. I love the cyberpunk genre. I'm a huge fan of all of it, obviously through Blade Runner, uh, through Ghost in the Shell, uh, through all of that. And the um, influences were running rampant through the game. Uh, but also, I am a big visual guy, so I love lighting. And so there was just a part of me that found comfort in waiting until it was nighttime in the game and sort of walking around in this neon-soaked world. Really dug it. Um, but I wasn't expecting to get great performances out of a video game. Um, and I haven't played a game like this. I've seen games and I've watched walkthrough on games like The Last of Us um, was amazing as far as story was concerned and performances were concerned. Um, but this is the first time I really sort of played through a game that I really felt connected to uh, the characters. And a big part of that uh, was the uh, voiceover actors, where they were the people that created the soul for these graphics. Um, and so when I found out who did the voice for one of my favorite characters in the game, Pan Am, um, I had to get her on the show. And so today's guest is none other than the amazing Emily Wu Zeller. Uh, she's kind enough to come on the show. We talk in detail about what it's like to be a VO actress, uh, what it takes to get a solid performance out of an actor. Um, and you'd be, I'm completely surprised, you'd be completely surprised how different it is uh, dependent upon what you're recording, whether you're doing video game or if you're doing animated series, voiceover stuff. Uh, Emily did a lot of dubbing work when she started, 
which is crazy to me. Um, and I actually bring it up on the show, but thinking back on watching my old school Godzilla movies, right? When I was a kid and sort of chuckling at how ridiculous a lot of the lines felt and how fast they were read and how strange they were. Um, you, you, you forget that they're trying to match, they're trying to change lines to match the lips because, you know, obviously the Japanese language and the English language uh, have different inflections, are uh, spoken at different speeds. There are all sorts of interesting differences between those. So how do you take a story, how do you take these lines and make it feel like they're coming out of that character's mouth? Because if they're not, it's just way the fuck off and the viewer is completely taken out of the story. Um, so I'm excited. We get to get into it deep. I, I get to learn a bit more about what it takes to direct uh, great uh, voiceover talent uh, because my experience with it has really just been limited to commercial voiceovers and maybe some uh, wild line reads here and there. Um, so I'm pumped because I get to learn a little bit of stuff that I get to use later. Really great. Uh, so strap yourselves in. Uh, before we get started on the show, I just want to face to face thank you guys for tuning into my Instagram account at Mike Petchy on Instagram or the podcast and Love of the Process Pod. That's in Love of the Process P O D on Instagram. Uh, there, you guys have been giving me suggestions for guests on the show. Um, I have been using that outlet to book folks, which has been really great. Uh, to meet new fans, uh, to run contests and competitions. We try to make this show as interactive as possible. And I've been getting a lot of notes from you guys, uh, surprised that it's me inter interacting with you. Yeah, it's an official verified account. I don't have a staff of people behind me doing this for me. I don't have someone in the corner on my phone uh, pretending to be me. So if you write to me on Instagram, I'll get it. I'll see it. It may take me a while to respond to it, but I'll be there. Um, okay, let's not delay it any further. Let's jump in to the amazing uh, Emily Zeller. And let's talk about a few of the other projects that she's done. So she did the voice of Pan Am and Cyberpunk 2077, uh, but she also provided voice work for The Last of Us 2, which I haven't played yet, and I hear it's really great. Uh, she was also doing voice work for the Pokemon series. Mm, I know a lot of you guys are Pokemon fans, which is really great. Um, but she's also a, uh, she also reads audiobooks. So she's a narrator for different audiobooks. I know she does stuff for Audible, a bunch of different companies as well. Um, we get into what that's like. It's a whole different process. And it isn't just someone sitting there reading a book to you. It's fascinating shit. So uh, Emily's definitely got the experience. So strap yourselves in. I know there's a lot of actors and actresses that listen to the show. A lot of value in this one. Um, and if you guys are just fans of cyberpunk and Emily's work, Get ready, because she's a great person. So grab those noise-canceling headphones. If you, you obviously, why do I say it that way? You guys obviously already have the fucking headphones on. <laughs> Turn up. How about that? We'll change it. Turn up your noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. 
to happy endings. Speaking of happy endings... Back there in the basilisk. Hope you don't regret what happened. I regret one thing only. That we had so little time. Guess we'll have to do something about that. Mm-hmm. You know... You know, this... This could be us. Every day. V, look around. Look at them. They could be your family. Panem, what do you... Stay in camp. Join us. I'd love to, Pan Am. I really would. Mm-hmm. Here comes that damned butt. I can't. Not right now. Have to finish some things first. All right, V. I shouldn't drop bombs like that on you right now. I just thought... Eh, forget about it. I'll think it over. Emily, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Mike. Happy to be here. Uh, very excited to chat with you about your work. Um, I'm a big fan of your stuff. Uh, now, I, I, I'm ashamed to say it, the first time that I've heard your work was when I played the new Cyberpunk video game. And this was the first video game that I've played probably since I was like 22. So it was a, it was a big event for me during COVID. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you're alone in that. I, you know, audiobooks, while it has been a, a very rapidly growing industry, mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't think that, you know, everybody and their mother listens to audiobooks. So uh, you wouldn't necessarily have, have known who I am. Well, I just haven't listened to your books yet because I I do yeah, listen okay. to yeah. I do listen to a lot of um, Audible stuff these days just because it's the only it seems to be the only way that I can read a book anymore because uh, if I actually sit sure. down to read a book I fall asleep after ten pages. Yeah, yeah. You know. So. Well, and it's a some people find that they have an easier time multitasking, right? Kind of, uh, yeah. And this is fun fact. So studies. A, at least a study have been done 
um, that show that the same part of the brain lights up whether you're reading with your eyes or listening with your ears. Oh, no kidding. Um, so it actually, because people have some, some idea that if you're not using your own eyes to process the text, that you're not, it's not, you're not going to be as smart. You're not going to gain the material. You're not going to gain the, the benefits of reading. Um, <laughs> but now, you know, we see that it's actually the same parts of the brain that light up, whether or not it's you're hearing the story or you're reading the story. And when you're hearing it, you do get the bonus of, first of all, a person performing it, but also how words are pronounced. I can't tell you even for myself when I first started this, mm -hmm. that work, um, there were words that I'd known my whole life and I used them in writing. And then I said them out, out loud and was like, nope, that is not how you say that word. <laughs> Which makes you feel pretty dumb. <laughs> so it was pretty cool to like, you know, so that, that's a benefit of listening to a story. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Uh, you would think, you would think English is my second language, the way I use it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's often, I, I can't believe I do a podcast with how terrible my vocabulary is, but <clears throat> yeah, no, listening to books on Audible, uh, I've been able to retain it a lot faster, a lot easier. Um, totally. and it like, because for quite some time I've just been editing, I've just been doing the movie stuff for so long that I, by the time you hit the end of the day, you're just emotionally exhausted. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So like, I, yeah, it's. Sorry, I'd rather be listening to it if I'm in the car or if I'm doing something else, you know? Right? Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that I have a hard time consuming more stories at the end of the day because I'm just, I'm storied out, you know? I'm living in the other worlds and emotionally drained or not drained, but exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, depends on the story, I guess. Sometimes it can be drained, but Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we live in a world right now where we're inundated with so many visuals, so much stuff that's just coming at us consistently. Um, and, you know, I just hit like, you know, seven or eight o'clock at night and I've got a whole list of like indie films that I want to watch. And I hit that point of the night where I'm like, I'm just gonna put on modern family reruns and just like drool on the couch for a couple of hours because sure. I can't, I can't process things anymore, you know? Well, and it's interesting, you know, I was I was talking about multitasking when you're listening. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually think, this is the first time I'm, I'm saying this out loud, so forgive me that the form is, the thought is half formed. <laughs> when it's visual, I find I toggle between, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I toggle between tabs, between articles, between what's happening in this world over here, who's moving over here, what's this light on over here, oh, it's a da 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 da, and my eyes are just. And it's exhausting, right? And often we're moving between different screens, which is also giving us a very particular kind of light and not a whole lot of great depth mm -hmm. in feedback, visual feedback of 3D, right? But when you're listening, sure, you can be doing one other physical task maybe that doesn't require a lot of brain power, but you can only listen to one thing at a time. You can't <laughs> listen to two different stories happening at once, right? So it's actually a little way of, a nice way of focusing. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating because <laughs> for, for quite some time, because I, I, I have these two um, books on directing right now that I'm trying to get through. And I also have like this ridiculous to-do list. So like I can sure. only retain information if I'm doing uh, a mindless task. Like if I'm, I'll clean the kitchen or I'll do like, oh, you know right. what I mean? I'll, I'll make the bed and do the laundry. And then I'm in this yeah. world 
But if I'm sitting here like, uh, you know, trying to organize mail or trying to organize paperwork, I just can't, I'm like, what have I been listening to? It's been like 20 minutes. Ah, oh, man, I, I can't do this. I can't totally. do it this way. Yeah, exactly. It's weird how our brains work that way, ma'am. Well, it's the oldest form of passing information, our oral storytelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something real, real deep in our brains about that. So. <laughs> well, how did you get, how did this become uh, your career path? Like, how did you get into voice acting? Because I know you're an actress as well, and I, I saw that you're a dancer as well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'd love to get into all of it. How did you end up landing into VO work? Like, what was... What, what was the, the route that got you there? Yeah. Um, so, so my training was in dance and music primarily. Um, I was trained as a singer and also play um, the piano and a touch of guitar. But I don't do that for anybody in public. That's <laughs> <laughs> for me. <laughs> but I was trained, like classically trained. Um, and so that was sort of my background. And then would like dabble in like musical theater once in a while. And eventually once I was in college, I majored in performance studies. Um, mm -hmm. But then I started getting into theater a little bit more. And um, I, I, this is not fair. I'm not being fair to myself. I, I played leads in musicals for several years prior to the, prior to all this. this wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I was the tree in kindergarten and then I decided <laughs> 10 years later to do theater. Right. No, I was doing it. I just wasn't, because I was spending so much time with dance and music, because when you're young, they're demanding in a way that theater isn't, right? Or it isn't usually. Mm -hmm. um, they require a daily discipline, right? So anyway, I was doing that. So I wasn't an actor in the way that some kids were actors. So that's why, that's why I say it this way. Um, anyway, so I, uh, once I graduated from college, I moved to Hong Kong for a couple of years and, um, I had done a random thing here and there for a show like, oh, we want some text for this dance piece. Can you, can you record the text for us? Yeah, sure. You know, or like you want to sing or whatever, but I got to Hong Kong mm -hmm. and, um, was connected to a group of um, English-speaking immigrants who were also performers and actors, and through them found out about uh, an audition for dubbing, and went in, did the audition, and took to it like a fish to water. So, um, yeah, I mean, I saw the audition, and I, I actually, <laughs> it was sitting on my. Uh, uh, a lover at the time, actually, their, their desk. And um, I was like, is that, is that a voiceover audition? <laughs> I, I really, I really, really, really want to do voiceover. <laughs> is it okay if I, can I, can, can I email them? <laughs> or like, can I, oh no, I guess it wasn't really email. I don't even remember. It's like, can, can, can I do this too? Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't just that it landed in my lap. I, it, it did and it didn't. It was there. I saw it and I went, yes, and I jumped at it, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, and then that was it. So I did that for a year and a half, um, full-time, dubbing anime. Oh, wow. Um, yep, yep, yep. It must, uh, be, it must be challenging to do 
I've always thought it was because, you know, being a, you know, being a young kid, I used to, obviously I used to love Godzilla movies and I would watch all the dub version of the Godzilla movies. And it isn't until I got older when I went back and rewatched them, I'm like, man, the performances are really tough because they're trying to deliver the information, try to deliver the lines in a different paced language. And that in itself must be an exercise, you know? Yeah, it was a really, really interesting process. I don't know if they're still doing it this way. I, I know that some of the elements, at least on the very, very end of the performance side, are different now. Mm -hmm. But at the time, they would have somebody who just translated the script. And then they'd have somebody who would rewrite to match the mouth flaps. So you pick your words <laughs> or whatever. And then we would get that script. Every single episode had at least a few times when we were like, oh, I could see how they thought that worked. That doesn't work. So here's how we're going to change it. And we'd just change it on the fly. And we also performed everybody who was in the scene was in the room, which is not a luxury that we get anymore. Um, and that's changed a long time ago. But when I was there, that was what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So that was really fun. We were just, and we were just, whoever was talking was popping in and out of the mic. It was really, really <laughs> special because you get to play off of each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because for performance, uh, and you know, just to get – uh, solid emotional performances. It's got to be difficult when you don't have that other person there listening and that other person just there for responses for you. It's got to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a skill. It's a challenge. Um, it's, it's learnable, but it definitely does require more energy. I think focus to get there because you just don't have the feedback. Mm. You know? mm -hmm. you just self self create it, create it within yourself. Yeah. Which is, which is fascinating because <clears throat> that's the, that's what I'm dealing with right now. I'm actually in the process of prepping a feature and I've been going back and, you know, during COVID and just sort of brushing up on your skills. Cause when you're, when you're a director, you don't get to do it all the time. You do it like, it takes you like six, seven years for a movie to get off the ground and you're like trying to hustle in and do a little bit here and there. So I'm like refreshing, yeah. refreshing up on all my skills. And I've been reading a lot of these really great books on acting and really great books on direction and how to get uh, really solid performances out of actors and how to sort of create an environment with playable direction, an environment mm -hmm. that has um, the comfortability and the, the ability to sort of lose yourself in the performance. And then I think of every time I've ever done VO work with, with a talent, with an actor, and it's usually in a sound booth somewhere, if you're not doing it remotely, it's usually in a sound booth somewhere with a bunch of producers, a couple of technicians, and someone giving you the most specific, like, can you dial that down like 15%, you know? And it's like, how does a person act <laughs> through, through all of that, you know? Yeah, voiceover directors are really special. I, I love it when I get a chance to work with a director. Um, yeah, because it's, it's a combination of knowing how to speak the the technical language that's required for micro, you know, microphone performance, but also with a base of, of an acting direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you prefer? Like when you, like what, what makes you giddy as far as an actor's concerned from direction? Like, is it, do you like to play around? Do you like it when directors are incredibly specific or do, is it a project to project basis for you? Mm, makes you giddy. <laughs> uh, uh, 
it's 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 kind of both. So I really so for Cyberpunk, the director was Pierce O'Toole, mm-hmm. um, and he is fantastic. He's fantastic because he was able to both be extremely specific, but give me enough space to. So he was specific about what was happening at the time and what the intentions are and what you know what the intentions are of the of the people you're playing against and all that. So that was clear, but then there was, you know, space for me to play within that and try a couple of different things. And if I was like, oh that wasn't he was like, oh that's fine. Or I was like, oh, that wasn't quite right. Let me let me try something else. Or oh, I got another idea. Let me let me do this. And he was totally open for it. Um yeah, and it, and it takes a little bit. It's a little bit of back and forth at first, right, to sort of understand what the director's language is mm-hmm. and what the actor, what the actor's language is and what they respond to. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And for something like Cyberpunk, A, first off, you can tell that you had that space to play because the performance feels natural. So when you're, when you're watching it or when you're playing it or when you're living it or however you want to describe what that experience is, it just, it feels incredibly natural. And as I was playing the game, I remember really between everything that that game does, and I know that game's got a lot of shit for whatever technical stuff they had to go through to get it off the ground, but I played it on a PC. I had such a great experience with this game and between the lighting, between the environments, between the atmosphere, and then the voice acting of all the characters, like all the little side play characters, like going into a gun shop and buying a gun and just sort of living in this space, I found myself lost in the game, unfortunately, lost in the game for, <laughs> t- for too long. <laughs> Where it's like, how many days has it been? Ah, oh, man, I'm still in the same clothes, you know? Um, uh, but, you know, that's a testament to all the performances and you know Pan Am was such a great character in that game that you fo- you essentially fall in love with this character if you're playing it um through Z I don't I haven't played it the other way but if you're playing it through the male perspective you fall in love with this character and she sort of does this transition or for me she did she did this transition of being like sort of like a badass sort of side character that's kind of like a sister and you're riding along with her for a while and then there's this romance that's found through it. And then after you have, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't played the game, but it's it's rated R. After you go through a specific scene with her, there's sort of like this relationship feeling that you have in the back end and this, um, I don't want like camaraderie, but also comfortability and like connection. Um, and so you guys killed it. Like you killed it. Like the director killed it. I thought all those elements made this more than just you know, being a video game kid when I was younger, it's it's more than like a side-scrolling Contra game. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's something that's interesting, you know? Yeah, so. yeah definitely. Well, and I think it's, it's actually since we got into this uh, talking about directors, um, the voiceover director is sort of a the liaison, right? He's not actually, or he or she is not actually, or they, the person who is, like in film directing, the director is the person who is, coordinating all of the different elements, right? Mm-hmm. A voiceover director is somebody who just works with the voice talent and is, you know, with between the script and the, the writers and then the voice talent. They're not necessarily the one in the game who's who's coordinating all everything that's happening story-wise in the game. 
Right, 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 right. Because right. it's all very much compartmentalized because it's such a huge, massive undertaking to sort of process, like whether you're dealing with mocap and you're directing the mocap folks and whoever's doing that down to the direction of the animation. And yeah, mm -hmm. it, that totally makes sense. You don't really think about that. Um, right. And, and so then it must be an interesting sort of team up with you and the voiceover director because he's essentially another cog in the wheel the same way you are and you guys are trying to produce uh the yeah. best possible content to out of that specific section as possible that's exactly. fascinating that's fascinating i never thought about it like that um so that being said what do you think because obviously there has to be a difference between doing something like cyberpunk, which is very narrative based and then doing something for audible, correct? Cause audible it's, are you essentially just trying to read the book in an interesting way? Like how does an audible recording go for you? How does that work? <laughs> uh, well, first I don't want to, I don't want to say only audible. Audible is one, one company that I work with. Right. Okay. I work with actually dozens of different companies. Um, and before I answer this question, I've just noticed that, like, on my screen, technically, I'm not showing anything waveform-wise. I want to make sure you're actually getting me. I'm getting you clean, so we're fine. Right on. Okay, cool. So yep. Sure. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. It's great. <clears throat> yeah. See, technical. I, I, <laughs> I pay attention to the technical stuff. Um, so they're very different. Um, with with say a game um all that i'm performing is however many characters i'm doing mm -hmm. and their dialogue lines so my only job is to be those handful of characters or one character and perform whatever they say out loud mm -hmm. to other people or entities in the environment in an audiobook you are primarily the thoughts inside somebody's head. You're primarily what is happening in the world. And then every now and then you get a scene with some dialogue in it and you're gonna get dialogue from multiple different characters, right? So that's something people understand. It's like, wow, you have to play all the characters. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. But the biggest character you play is the narration, hmm. which is completely different. Wild. Um, yeah. And so how do you process, like, do you create a character for the narration or is the narration, I guess it's a project to project thing, right? Is the narration yeah, exactly. just like a... It depends on the text. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. What, which do you prefer? Like, what do you like doing the most? Oh, no, I really love having a balance of the two. Mm -hmm. I really do. Because there's something about when, when you're doing the narrative in, in a book, um, it's... Oh, it's such a privilege to get to see the entire world and like and be the omniscient presence, right? Like mm. that's so cool. But to do that effectively, you really have to pull back a lot so that there's space for you to step in and out and so that you don't tire out the listener. Because if you're doing game heavy performance, I mean, can you imagine if you had like a game heavy <laughs> performance in your ear for 16 hours? Like no. No, and it doesn't matter how much you love said game or whatever, right? You couldn't <laughs> listen to it for hours on end. Right, but with a right. book, it's because we're, we're going, okay, we're going to give you space. It's just you and me. We're like, there's no other sound, and I'm going to tell you this story. 
but with and then the the, the other side of it is animation or, or video games when you go like Wah! with any with any <laughs> one character because there is sound effects and visuals and music and the characters are just bigger in it and it's the story is told not via the narrate the narrative the story is told through the dialogue and through action scenes mm. so you you have they're, they're just more dynamic because of that yeah 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 it's interesting because <clears throat> as i you know and I only say Audible because that's the thing I have and I'm not promoting them or anything right now. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when I started listening to the audiobooks again, mm-hmm. um, it harkened back to when I was a kid and, like, my mother would read books to me. And it sort of had that yeah. that sensibility to it, which is really fucking great. And I prefer it when, it's, when I actually get talent reading it more so than I do when the authors themselves read it. <laughs> Well, you, I, I forget. I won't. Often the case. I, I won't out a book, <laughs> but I recently just listened to one, and it was just like, oh my god! It was so difficult to get through like five chapters. I'm like, ah, do I pick this up and read it, or do I just <laughs> program myself? Um, totally. I mean, there are authors who are able to do both. It, it does happen, but they are very different skills. Like. Mm-hmm. I am not a writer. I do know narrators. I do know actors who are writers. I'm not one of them. They are different skills, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so just because you wrote the story and because you know who these characters are doesn't mean you can perform them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like one of them who might have been a doctor, <laughs> might have been a doctor. And I'm just like, I don't think I could meet you in real life after listening to, after having gone through this book. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I could deal with it. <laughs> you, just, you don't know how to say specific words. It's, it's terrible. Right. Um, you guys know the deal. It is that time. It is time to thank the men and women that make this show possible. I am talking about our sponsors. Um, today's sponsors are uh, returning. The, the greats that are returning that have been with us for quite some time um, are good friends over at Puget Systems. If you are a voiceover actor, right, and you want to set up your own little remote recording place, um, definitely go check out a Puget system. Consider buying yourself a system that is powerful enough to run whatever sort of sound recording software you use, uh, real-time plugins, right? That's a big thing, because if you're running like noise cancellation, if you're running uh, different compressors, uh, different equalizers to make your voice sound nice, um, then you definitely need to get a beefy system, at least to do it real-time. Right? You don't want to wait around forever for this stuff to render. You don't want to have to like pre-buffer rendering. Just do it all in one timeline. What are you guys using, by the way, to record your VO stuff if you are an actor? Um, I'm using uh, uh, Adobe Audition right now to record this episode, uh, and I'm actually putting it through because now you guys can see. Ooh, this is interesting. You guys can see me. So you're listening to me on my Shure mic, and which mic was this? This is the, hold on a second. Oh man, 
It's the, it's the, oh, there it is. It's the SM7B. So this microphone's really great. Um, I'm running this through a, I don't know if I could show you this or not, but I'm actually running it through a cloud lifter. So the cloud lifter gives my voice this deep, um, sort of studio, old vintage studio vibe to it. Um, and then that's running into my road and then that's running into the computer. And that's being recorded both on my roadcaster internally as a backup, but it's also being recorded here on Zencaster, which is a pain in the ass. And it's recording on Adobe Audition in real time. And then my voice has its own effect chain on it as well. I've got um, a mastering thing that adds just a slight bit of echo. So it makes it seem like I'm in a studio, 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 studio. Like I am right now. That's fucking lame. <laughs> so stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So then uh, I am able to do all my post-production quickly, uh, real time, using my Puget system, right? And I'm also using my Puget system to play Cyberpunk, which was awesome. And I was using my Puget system also to video edit, and you do Photoshop, and I do all my stuff. Isn't it great having a computer that is custom built specifically to why you need it, why you're buying it? Um, that's what I liked about Puget. Years ago, I jumped off the uh, Mac bandwagon, and you've heard me on the show talk about why, and I won't go down that hole again. Um, but finding these guys, not only with Puget did I find a company that has great customer support where I know them specifically, um, but then I was also able to form a relationship with them uh, as sponsors. I was also able to form a relationship with them as fellow creators, um, and I created a bond with these guys and yes you know i get like certain advantages being a sponsor for the show but i think the only advantage that you guys don't have is to know these guys as personally as i do um john and eric and matt uh these dudes i've traveled with i've gone to las vegas with i've drank beers with we've talked to computers we've talked to movies uh these guys are my friends these guys are really good dudes I really love them. They continue to support the show. They've helped sponsor my shorts. Um, they're great fucking guys. So I cannot say enough good things about them. But more importantly, anybody that I send over there to buy computers, they're just blown away. Seriously, blown away. You won't believe the people that I've sent to buy computers at Puget and the deals they've got from Puget and the customer support that they get. I know. You guys are ready for a new computer right now. And I know the big draw is like, oh, how's the unboxing experience? And, oh, I just saw like these really sexy, these sexy ads on TV with like the 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 nostalgia from the, the score of fucking Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory running. You're paying for all of that when you buy those things. That fucking unboxing experience, you're paying for that. Do you know how much it cost me to buy this fucking phone. You know how much it cost me to buy this fucking phone? And at the end of the day, it does the exact same thing that my old phone did that was suddenly outdated. Oh, it drives me crazy. I don't want to go on a rent. Rent free. Rent free day. Calming day. Anyway, go to PugetSystems.com and buy a new computer and let them know what it is that you need to spend, what it is that you need to build, and these guys are going to help you do it. 
All right, let's see. Who else do we have as sponsors this week? We also are sponsored, as always, by our good friends over at Quasar Science. If you're looking to get more lights, if you want some lights, if you're looking to build a light kit, if you want to put something together, let's say that you're a videographer, let's say that you are a photographer, uh, let's say that you are uh, someone that's going to shoot a movie on your own and you need to put together a little kit. I get asked this all the time. What are you using for lights? What kind of stuff do you have in your kit? I've got a mix. I've got a really interesting mix of shit. I've got a lot of like weird sort of tungsten units. I've got a lot of tungsten dimmers, which give me like that very warm amber vibe. Um, but more often than not, I'm using LED lights these days. Uh, they have a smaller footprint, require less power. Uh, they're easy to store. Uh, and they're very cool to the touch, so I can handheld them. I can move them around and I can actually find how if you move the light, how that changes a character's face, how that changes a character's mood. Um, so pretty cool shit. If you are looking to build out your kit, think about getting some Quasar tubes. Quasar makes bi-color bi LEDs. They also do rainbow LEDs. They have a bunch of new units that I haven't been able to get my hands on yet but hopefully soon, Quasar. Um, really cool shit. I love them. Like I literally will take the tubes when I'm lighting somebody and move them around their face to try to figure out what the best direction, what the best angle, what the best contrast is. Uh, pretty cool shit. I don't like recording video where I can fucking see myself. It's super annoying. I feel like I'm on my fucking phone. Um, anyway, go check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. Uh, okay. Also, we have a new sponsor on the show, uh, Loop Deck. If you go check out Loop Deck, it is L-O-U-P-E deck.com. Uh, these guys make control surfaces, uh, and we've been using one here at the office. Um, they're really great. You can actually hook them up so that they'll work with any Adobe products. Um, Gina's been using hers to work with Photoshop, you can also use it to work with Lightroom. You're taking a lot of what normally would be keyboard shortcut commands and actually putting them onto dials, very specific dials, a programmable little console that is really cool. Uh, I'm very excited to use it for Premiere because a lot of like footage shuttling and all that stuff can get repetitious where you're just like, what is it, ASD, which is like fast forward keyboard shortcuts. I'd rather have that back down to dials and, and knobs and toggles and stuff. Um, these guys do a really good job with it. So definitely check them out. Check out Loop Deck. Check out their consoles. Um, and uh, we'll put links below the episode uh, for which one we use and uh, to get you guys over to the website. And please click the links because a lot of these links are trackable. It's the only way that the sponsors of the show know that we're sending you their way. And if you've noticed, we've been getting more sponsors because a lot of the diehard listeners of this show are actually clicking through. And I told you, this is stuff that we use. These are products we like. I'm not selling you shit. You know, I didn't want to do that on the show. And uh, as you can see by where I'm filming in our, you know, what room am I in? In the den right now? Uh, I'm not spending the money. You know what I mean? So uh, definitely check those out. And if you want, if you feel bad for me, 
and you are like, Mike, how do you do all this work and don't get paid for it? I'd like to give you some money, but I don't have any money. So I don't know what to do here. Simply done. Go to Audible. If you haven't done so already, sign up for a 30-day free trial at audible.com. I think it's audibletrial.com backslash level the process. Uh, it's part of the show, me not knowing exactly what that link is, but I'll make sure I put that link, clickable link, in the description of this episode. Click on it, sign up for 30 days for free. You get one free audio book in those 30 days, and you get access to a lot of their other content. So Audible also has like podcasts and, and uh, uh, series, like audio series on there that you'll get access to. Um, that is where... I have been listening to a majority of my books these days. Um, I just finished listening to the, and I also bought a hard copy, by the way. This book has been blowing my mind. A uh, really great book, Directing Actors by Judith West. I kind of talk about it a little bit on this episode. This is what I'm referencing. Uh, great book. Um, and uh, there's a really good audio read of it. Um, so go check it out. Sign up for a deal at Audible. And like I said, we get paid. So if you sign up for 30-day free, free trial, learn how to use your mouth, 30-day free trial, then we get some cash. And then if you cancel, if you have to cancel, because some of us do, because the money gets tight, doesn't matter. We still get paid. Easy way to get some cash to the show without reaching in your own wallet. There you go. All right, let's get back into it with Emily. talk for hours about audiobooks because it's just I don't know well that's why you can get nerdy on the show we don't have to talk for hours about it but (laughs) well so in in when we it audiobooks have been around for a long time yep yep they have but they were primarily for it since since we had recording recording technology basically but um in the beginning it was mostly for like library of congress um for the for for blind people because it was so taboo to have somebody to not read your own story Hmm. um and the what we've talked about in the within the industry chats is that we think that the reason that there has been such a boom is because of the the mp3 technology so no longer did you have to have a CD, yeah. but you could listen to it on a mobile device. And that just blew everything up because then it was like, oh, okay, we can make, you know, it's cheaper to the consumer and um, just more readily available. So in the beginning, there weren't, there are, there weren't um, audio clauses built into contracts for authors, and there are now. It's like, it's just given. And in fact, now, you know, there's a whole question about AI performing work and things like that. And those are being written into contracts um, as we move further in that kind of toward in that direction of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the beginning, 
Audible also did a huge push toward um, like a backlog, creating audio for work that had been published for decades earlier. Mm -hmm. And so there was this huge influx. And now we're sort of caught up. There's not a whole lot of redoing older books. Uh, mostly it's the stuff that's currently being published. Um, but authors didn't have a say because the audio rights were just non-existent or would get, you know, created and then purchased by whomever. I don't know. I'm not really on that, that side of things too much. I'm not a, I'm not a publisher. Right. But now authors have so much more control over who gets to perform their audio huh. and, um, and when. Um, so yeah, so there were, there were some authors who don't know that their books have been made into audiobooks. They just don't even, they don't even know. And now it's different, right? But if they wrote a book 15, 20, no, more than 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they might be surprised by it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually kind of fascinating because, <clears throat> you know, if you're looking at it from a, from a creator standpoint, you're looking at it from a tone, like a voice standpoint, because it takes, it takes a long time for a, for an author to find their voice you know, on the page and to be able to write their voice and write the specific tone. And, then, <laughs> and then if like some like cheap production company hires <laughs> a really dog shit VO person, it just destroys <laughs> your voice <laughs> in the book, Sure, you know? Sure. I mean, hopefully, I mean, the, certainly the publishers that I work generally do a very good job. So uh, yeah. I'm, hiring, I'm not they're hiring pros. I'm not but throwing it, it you be, under the bus. But yeah, that, that would be a worst case scenario, right? Where you're just like, mm -hmm. oh my God. Uh, right. And then you have to hire a lawyer or something, try to figure out how to buy those rights back and then produce it on your yeah. own and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, I, I guess that's become, that must be a real thing these days because you know, everybody, everybody is, is getting their content through some sort of digital medium at this point. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if you're not squinting over a Kindle, you're listening to it through some headphones. Um, totally, yeah. It's fascinating stuff. So that being said, um, let me ask you, let me, let me take a look at my questions because I sure. love where, I love where I know, we're we going. went off a real big. I tangent. love going on tangents, and that's what the show is. <laughs> I fucking love it. Um, so, oh, you know what? Let's go back to film dubbing for a sec, because I, sure. you know, besides watching Godzilla movies when I was a kid, I also found that when I started watching um, the Ghost in the Shell movie, uh, the animated movie, and then the Ghost in the Shell in the Shell series. I really fell in love, and I'm going to forget her name, but I really fell in love with the actress who did all the dubbing. And Ooh. when I went back and watched it in its actual language, in Japanese, I was like, oh, it's cool. Like, it's really cool, but I miss her voice. And then mm. I got so excited when they did the TV series, and she did, I don't know how many episodes, it must have been like 50-something episodes where I was just watching it every week. Like every night I was watching an episode and I really, really fell in love with her. And then they did a newer version of that show and they found a new voiceover person who's great, but it wasn't that. And then when they made the movie with Scarlett Johansson, I wanted them to dub Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I was like, if they did that, then that movie would have been so much better for me. Because it's... Yeah. It's it's funny how, especially with animation, it's funny how the voice in the in the specific tonality that an actor brings to it 
-hmm. it really becomes comforting, you know? And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I don't know. I, I can say this at least for myself because I'm generally more of, of the five basic senses. Sight is my least strong one. So I've never been a super visually oriented person. What are you uh, running um, around with Coke bottle glasses to read things? Is that what you mean? Or it's just, you don't look I, at that? Well, yeah, that's part of it. I've been <laughs> wearing glasses since I was four. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I have very, very strong prescription. Um, but it's also just, uh, we obviously I, I am not blind and I, I do use sight to process information, but I just get so much more out of sensation, out of taste, out of auditory sensors, out of, um, physical presence. Like it just, I've always been that way. And like when I, when you're talking about uh, connecting to a character or to a story, I mean, like, sure, you can look at whomever and how they move and think, like, you know, that the way that they look is amazing and I'm attracted to that. Mm -hmm. But what voice is coming out of them? Mm -hmm. right? How do they communicate? How do they talk about what they think about? That is, otherwise it might as well just be an animated character. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it just, it doesn't, you know, like I don't, you can have anything that's real looking, but it doesn't become real until it has a voice. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like it, it's the, the heart. Well, it's, but it's, you know, I've been directing for, I don't know, like 20 years now. So like you hit a point where mm. most people will celebrate your work based upon visuals. It always is. So people will go, that movie looks really fucking cool. Or the CGI in that movie looks fucking amazing. Or, you know, the actress is gorgeous on the screen. Um, but being a storyteller in that medium, especially doing horror stuff, I know that my stuff looks like shit until I start sound designing it. <laughs> until I start doing it. And right. it's just, sound design is everything. It will make everything. or break whatever is going on on screen. Everything. Like, watch yeah. a horror movie with no sound. It's just a bunch of awkward people walking down hallways afraid to open doors. <laughs> That's really <laughs> it. That's really it. And, and to edit, and I've, I've said this on other episodes, and to edit horror without sound design is so complicated because you're just like, I don't know what the pacing's going to be. I don't know. I need the music cues. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that makes sense. I've been always, I've been incredibly fascinated with, with sound. Uh, and if I didn't, if I wasn't such a visual nerd, I probably would have gone off into the sound territory. And I, I always, yeah. I always have this nightmare that I'll lose my sight somehow. And I'm like, well, at least if I, if I go blind, then I'll go and do sound. <laughs> so so <laughs> I have like this weird nightmare that that'll happen. Um, but what I love about it is that it, it you can you don't even have to close your eyes it's it's this weird emotional trigger sound has this ability to take a time period stamp like stamp a time period stamp a specific emotion um and i have the utmost respect for people like yourself who understand how to sort of convey emotion convey motion convey a memory with a tone of voice, which I think is really great. Are you ever really hyper-focused on that? Or are you, when you're doing your line reads, are you, are you like, I just want it to sound good to myself? Or 
are you completely aware of the fact that people can't see you doing stuff? And so you're trying to, you know, yeah, you know juice a, it up. That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> it's a little, it's a little bit of both. It kind of danced back and forth. Um, it took me a little while to get out of the idea that I needed to have a good voice and sound good, mm -hmm. whatever that means. Right. Like it's some idea that we have that everybody needs to sound like Dan LaFontaine for everything or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> and that's not true. The, what I, my job is to convey truth in an emotive state. And the way to do that is to be, well, I guess it's just an acting thing, right. To be able to tap that within myself and then let it come out in the most authentic way. Um, so that takes time and that takes practice. Um, but then every now and then something will happen in where I'm like, oh, I, I was relying on a combination of what would be a visual cue and an auditory cue. Okay, so I need to like tweak it a little bit so that people can understand. They, they don't have the visual cue, so I need to make up for that. Mm -hmm. But at the heart, it's first, first the emotional, and then it's understanding that um, how the information is coming across in the story. So you need to sort of be in the story and then also have the, the third eye outside of it and, mm -hmm. and understand how it's coming across without getting too caught up in one or the other. Yeah, it's fascinating because for quite some, for quite a while, I had been developing a podcast series, which was going to obviously be all audio only. And it was a narrative series that uh, myself and my writing partner had been working on. And I, I don't want to get too deep into specifics on the show, but I was fascinated with performances, like how to get these performances to feel like a movie but then there's this difference with it too, because if you just listen to a movie soundtrack and you close your eyes and you're trying to keep track of what everybody's saying in a movie soundtrack, that gets a little complicated too. So it's like this weird balance of that inner monologue that you were talking about before, but then, you know, how do you get these performances? And I, I, I think other people have done it, but my theory was like, do I do, um, what they do in mocap? Do I do I just get like a studio space, like a big open studio space, and do head microphones on folks and have them acting with each other? And does that make it more interesting, or do voiceover actors find it more comforting to just be sitting behind specific microphones and maybe looking at each other across the room? Like, what do you think is the formula for a really great dynamic performance when when it comes to something like that? I mean. My favorite, of course, is to be able to be in the same room with somebody. But for voiceover, um, so when I did the Dr. Afra Star Wars audio drama, mm -hmm. um, most of that we recorded um, by myself, even though there were scenes with other characters. Um, and that was written more like a radio play. It was not written like a, like a book at mm -hmm. all. It was an adaptation of the comic, right? Um, that was written like a radio play and it was all recorded alone with the exception of the scenes with Sonastaros, um, which, uh, Nicole Lewis performed. And so she and I, we were in our own studios and, um, dialed in and we recorded remotely with each other. So we were recording in real time, but from our own studios. Wow. And that was really cool because then we were, we didn't have the advantage of seeing each other. So we had to remember that all we were doing was conveying via voice. So we didn't have anything to help us out. 
And so actually, I think that actually helps with the, if you're worried about, you know, missing something in a, in a visual cue mm -hmm. to not, to give the actors the disadvantage of not having a visual cue. So we have to communicate with each other just via voice. I, I thought that was, um, that was really effective. It was really awesome working with her. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's fascinating to think about because it's a lot more complicated than one would think, you know, like if you're like, oh, it'll be easier to do an audio recording because I don't have to have a whole crew and I don't have to film it and do all that kind of stuff. But then it, it you know, as far as storytelling goes, it's a lot more complicated as far as how to get the performances the way you want to get the performances. And at least for me, it is probably just because, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a visual nerd. So. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, right. So you're used to, I mean, you say you're also a writer, right? Yeah. But your writing incorporates visual cues as opposed to your writing incorporating the either in the writing itself, which is usually what, what I find in the successful pieces. It's that it's in the writing itself um, in very subtle ways that's, that, makes, that makes a good audio successful. Um, because as a performer, like I'm going to give the truth. I'm going to give what is in the text. I'm going to do that. That's my job mm -hmm. to the best of my ability. But if it's not in the text, I can't give it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you, how do you make that present in the text or in the directing? If you're mm -hmm. doing something more like a radio play, right? Then you have the opportunity to yeah, play around a little bit with it. Yeah, to play around a little more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's fucking interesting. What what is so? Do you prep? Do you prep heavy when you do something like this? Are you trying to figure out like the cadence and the, who this character is going to be when you're doing? Well, I guess. Well, uh, sorry, go ahead. doing something like what? Well, it's. I mean, I would assume for sure if you're doing like cyberpunk, but if you're doing like an audiobook recording, are you doing much prep for that? Or are you just sort of getting there and getting whatever sort of direction you're getting and just sort of reading it the way you would read it? Like how does... That's so interesting. It's actually the reverse. So we don't get the script. I didn't get the script for cyberpunk. Any, any I showed up in the studio and then I saw it for the first time. Just what we were recording <laughs> that day. Every single day. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's the complete opposite. There was zero prep for... for it was just like... Which is, you know, part of the job of being a voiceover artist is you need to be able to produce immediately and to come up with different ideas immediately. Wild. And yeah, yeah, that was really uncomfortable for me at first because um, I was much more, like I said, I was a classically trained musician. I was a dancer who every day for the, you don't do a piece until you've rehearsed it for however long, right? <laughs> Theater, you get six weeks before you do it. And then you're only one character, maybe five if you're doing some crazy Shakespeare thing. Right. But like, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, no, here we go. Three takes, five, five six, seven, eight, let's go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it really sharpening like improv skills is, is very valuable and directly uh, useful for voiceover. But with audiobooks, I do, I get to read the book once beforehand. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, and I have to, because sometimes authors throw in some information about a character that affects your vocal choice, but it didn't come in until page 200, um, or, or some, some character arc that's also going to affect how, what you do vocally, um, that you don't want to be surprised with. Mm -hmm. So you want to make those choices from the beginning. And then it's also just helpful to know 
who is in this world and the story that you're telling and what is the story that you're telling really? Mm -hmm. Cause the synopsis isn't necessarily what's actually in the book. <laughs> so, right? mm -hmm. The synopsis is what sells and connected to the story, but it's not necessarily what the heart of the story is going to be. So that's so crazy. Anyway. That's so crazy with the video game stuff where, you know, yeah. Coming from this narrative world where it's all about prep, like prep, 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 like you know, who's his character and let's break this down and let's create yeah. some actionable verbs and let's sort of go through this process of trying to find an emotional sequence. But, and I, I, I get it because the video game world isn't just those cutscenes. It's also uh, <laughs> a ridiculous amount of like wild lines where like, you know, you go push the character again and she's like, what? <laughs> you know, and you must record like, 500 versions of what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's part of it. It's also confidentiality. I think they're really worried about, especially with a AAA game like this, they're really worried about leaks and mm -hmm. just anywhere that you can avoid an opportunity for a leak, take it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so for auditions for, for video game and animation stuff, um, there's actually, there's two different ways to approach and ideally I think it's something in the middle, but one way is like, well, they're either going to like my voice or they're not. I might have to make immediate choice. I'm not going to have a chance to re rehearse this. So whatever my instinctual response is, that's what I'm going to record. That's going to be my audition. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But another perspective is <clears throat> this audition copy is the only opportunity I'm going to have to really rehearse what I think could possibly be for this character. So I'm going to spend some time rehearsing it now for the audition before I get paid for anything and then send it off. Um, but it's also, you know, ideally if you're doing this work full time or you're intending to do this work full time, you're auditioning every single day. Um, and that's not paid work. Yeah. It's not, not paid time. Um, so that's something to consider. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean, acting in general, being talent in general is <laughs> it's a thankless job. It's it's like when people start to scoff at what ta what like the high paid actors get paid or get good actors get paid. It's like, yeah, they went through <laughs> years and years of unpaid work like consistently to get to where they need to be. Um right. It's interesting. So with Cyberpunk, did they at least tell you who the character was. Were they like, "Hey, look, she's a she's a desert rat that has a sniper rifle." Like, did they at least oh, prep you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I got the basic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, but it was interesting in the process, um, and I, I don't know what the writing side. I don't know what the project side was, but my experience of it was, I was given. I met one of the writers um, who was great, and uh, he was there for my first my first several sessions because <clears throat> he wanted to make sure that we really got, got her right. Mm -hmm. And the, the primary color for her character was she's a hot, she's just a hothead, right? It's real easy to set her off. So they wanted to make sure that they got that. <clears throat> so that, that was more or less what I auditioned with. It was just like, okay, so she's, she's a hotheaded tough gal who's super into cars. All right, cool. So that's what my audition was. And they brought me in and um, that was how we recorded almost everything. And then we had one scene where she was sitting in the bar or a bar mm -hmm. um, 
And it was the first time that it wasn't outside and it wasn't confrontational. And she like actually is just letting her guard down. <clears throat> and there was something that happened, not just for me, but I think for the other people in the room where we were like, oh, because the, all they had ever heard was me doing this audition where I was supposed to be a hothead. I was like, cool, yeah, I can do that. But like, I can also do this other thing. And when they heard that, then it was like, yeah, let's, yeah, let's go, let's go like further in that direction. And then, so it was this really beautiful kind of, you know, exploratory moment. And then after that, then I started getting, before that I had no scenes where she had any kind of intimacy. And after that was when I started getting a little bit of a mix of the two. So it was really, it was really nice. To, the, um, yeah. Those are the best moments when, when we make this stuff. You know, like when you, and I, that's why I like filmmaking. When you stumble into a space or an actor performs something a specific way, and when a character gets out of my head, you know, in whatever weird voice that I've heard this character have for the months and years of like reading scripts and prepping this thing, and then you hear someone say it, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And I didn't even know <laughs> that this character could sound like that. That level of yeah. excitement is is like completely infectious for me. It's just like stop yeah. everything, stop everything. Like this is this is where <laughs> we're supposed to go is with this. Um, so it's cool to hear that you guys had that on the video game, and I think I know what scene it is that you're talking about when I was playing yeah. it because you can definitely, at least narratively, there's a shift which which happens yeah. really well in that sequence. Yeah. Uh, very cool stuff, man. Like, yeah. I've got a few more questions, but I really appreciate you sharing all this stuff. I really enjoy getting nerdy with you on this whole, <laughs> like, it's it's such a different aspect. A lot of similarities between doing movie stuff, but okay. it is a hell of a lot different. Um, and I, I just, I always had nothing but but empathy for the for the talent because, like I said, the only experience I've had with VO stuff has been either, like, doing wild lines for flick or doing commercial work. And I'm sure you've done uh -huh. plenty of commercial work. It's a whole other, it's a whole other it's beast. It's a whole other ball game. I've, <laughs> I've auditioned a lot for commercial work. I've done a couple of small release things, but I actually haven't done a whole lot of actual commercial work. Yeah. Then I would be living large. But <laughs> I am not. <laughs> but I do, I do audition quite a lot. And I'm, I know people who have done a lot of commercial work. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole it's different. Very different. It's yeah. a whole different vibe when you're sitting in a room with thirty other creatives that are all sort of sitting back there, and you're like, "What do you guys? What do you guys do? What is? All right, all right, here we go." <laughs> <laughs> and then they come whisper well, in your ear as a director, and they're just like, um, "Could she like like turn it down like twenty percent?" You're like, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's. I mean. Yeah, the, I did a, a bunch, I did do a lot of commercials in Hong Kong, but because it was not the US, we did not have the same kind of contracts. So I didn't get a lot of money from those, but I did get the experience. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a room full of, I don't know that I would call them creatives per se. I think they're <laughs> people that do have an element of creativity in their work, but that their primary work is not necessarily creative in orientation. Mm -hmm. 
So there are not people who have studied how to talk to an actor or how to build a story or how to whatever in, in whatever mediums. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the language and they're interested in making sure that their boss is happy and they know that a mood needs to happen and they know that a product needs to sell and they know that this kind of commer- this commercial has done really well. They don't really know why, but they know that this commercial has done well. So we kind of want to do something like that, but mm-hmm. not exactly, you know. And so that's what's going through their mind. And then they're all listening to each other and being like, "Well, uh, that's not it. Something like that. That's not it. Just, uh, yeah, maybe something like." But there's just the, yeah, the language ability to. <laughs> Completely. And, and I think, it's, I'll, and it's a completely different world. And I understand, like, I don't know how to talk. Well, now, now I'm better at it. But when I was, a, you know, studying acting and that was all I was going to do or performing, I didn't know how to talk to a business person. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Right. It's jargon. It's, it's like you're, you're dealing with two completely almost diametrically opposed worlds coming together. It, it's, like, it's nuts. And, and often like I got successful at the commercial world the day I realized that, my job was to be a conduit between these two elements, which was like that, yes. that, that group that of- That is a good director, somebody who can do that, yes. Yeah, because you're, you're like in the middle going, okay, so they would like to repaint you like a couch as far as your performance is concerned. <laughs> and so I need to like take that information and bring it over to you and go- um, let's try to read it differently. Let's try to play with this differently. And then you go back and talk to the, to, to the client and they're sort of like stamping their feet and going like, what the fuck is taking so long? And you're just like, you don't get it. They're human beings. There isn't a dial in the back of her head. I can't just go over there and turn it down 15%. <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, yeah, no, it took, it took, as soon as I realized that, uh, commercials weren't about me as an artist and weren't about my directorial style and I'm not showing up to make this great. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm here because totally. they don't know how to talk to you. And that's why I'm here. And if there was an app right. that they can just go 20% and then the other side of the phone went, remember your childhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then they would, <laughs> they would, they would use that app instead of me. A hundred percent. Uh, right. It also makes me think, it was funny while you were saying that story, it reminded me of um, of uh, Lost in Translation with Bill Murray when he's being directed in the, uh, in the whiskey ad. And it wasn't just the uh, translation communication that I was just seeing. It was also the fact that he, the people that had to translate the blue couch thing through a translation thing and just Bill Murray sitting there just going, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I need to do. I don't know how to do this. Such a great sequence. Um, yeah. But uh, so that being said, do you, are you still auditioning? Are you still trying to get on screen? Are you still trying to get in front of the camera these days? Or are you primarily focusing on VO stuff? Um, so I have never really focused on getting in front of the camera. I'm a stage actor. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it might have been different now if I were a younger person um, getting into film now. Maybe standards have changed a little bit, but certainly, you know, as somebody who's half Chinese and um, I grew up in Los Angeles and uh, did not feel like the industry would be kind to me. 
and right. for various reasons, not just because of my race um, and the way I look as a mixed person, but um, body type, personality, um, interests, and all of these things. It just, it didn't seem, those seemed more important to the industry than the actual acting piece. And mm -hmm. I wanted to spend my time, I don't know, getting a college degree, dancing, performing on stage and, you know, doing things that were actually fulfilling um, and, you know, just figuring out how to make money that way instead of like trying to get famous or I don't know. I don't know what. It sounds like a pretty in a particular way or whatever Hollywood does. Right. So it, that just wasn't my bag. Um, now I'm, I'm more open to it, but I also, you know, I respect that being an on camera actor is different from being on stage is a different set of skills. And, you know, there's training that needs to be done for that. There's reels that need, you need to have for that. And I've done a handful of like music videos and short things here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, never done a feature, but, uh, and now I have confidence that I didn't have when I was, you know, 20 years ago when I was a teenager. <laughs> but um, yeah, so my, my, my focus for the last 15 years has been voiceover primarily and then occasionally a, a gig where I'm singing or dancing or a stage show. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's a, gr it's a great career path and you're able to create memorable characters that, that affect you know, have affected me emotionally affects anybody that plays the games emotionally, or if they watch uh, the stuff that you've done, like uh, you did a lot of Pokemon for a while, correct. And then you were doing a bunch of other Pokemon, stuff. Yeah. Yep. So mm -hmm. I, and you know, living in a time period where we're all listening and we're all listening to audiobooks, or we're, you know, Netflix's animation department is massive. Um, like one of my good buddies, totally. uh, Nick did all the VO work, and the mocap work for the Resident Evil video games, and then he got offered to oh, do nice. the Resident Evil animated TV show for for Netflix, which was really amazing. And That's awesome. So there is for those young actors that are listening, there is a good career path, and I'm happy that you you mentioned your career path and why you chose it because it seems like you made a very healthy decision, you know, like <sighs> because like to chase that that need to be, I don't want to say popular, but to, to need to be a celebrity, to be like a big movie star or to be like an Instagram star. It just, when you look at the long run of it, all of these folks that I've yeah. talked to, it just seems like the unhealthy route. Where, where it's not a, it's not, it's not for me. Everybody's got their own path and you know, it's uh, it, it wasn't for me. And it really resonated when I heard older actors when I was a very young performer, um, talk about how what you want to be spending your time doing is getting good at your craft. And you do that by practicing. Mm -hmm. And you practice by doing. So do the thing. And then the, the reality is that the business side of it and the, the marketing side of it is, is an element, but that is the top layer. That is not your foundation. Right. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. 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 But that's not how Hollywood plays. Hollywood, Hollywood does care about how popular you are and how you look and how you come across. And it's a cult of personality, not a cult of talent. So, 
Yeah, it's difficult because then a lot of us come at it as artists, you know, we come at it from the years right. of practice. For the love of the, of the actual craft, right? And there are, there are those for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then you are confronted with this. Like, for me, I'm coming from the independent film world and I've been doing independent films for so long and I'm prepping my first sort of Hollywood produced feature and it's a whole different ballgame. And you, you end up spending... 60% of your time just sort of learning how the industry works and how, you know, dealing with, yeah. with agents work and how dealing with talent works. And then you start, yep. start to understand why it takes so long for these things to get made. Cause you're just like, well, totally. I, I got to weed my way through all these gatekeepers and try to figure out how to just get to you and just go like, Hey, I get the sweet idea. Yeah. And you're like, cool. And then we just sort of talk about it <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the, right. at the end of the day, that's, you know, what, movies and all this content are is like someone that has like a great idea they write it down and then you hang out and you play around with other people and that's that's ultimately the fairy tale world that we all want to get paid good money to live yeah right exactly <laughs> <laughs> but if we want to get paid then we have to pay attention to the business side of things yeah so yep 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 and then you get into it <laughs> yeah yeah well Look, uh, we've done, I think that I got to wrap it up. Um, this has been wonderful. It's been, yeah, it's been so nice to talk to you and get to know you a little bit and congrats by the way on your, um, Hollywood produced production. Uh, fingers crossed. I hate even saying it like, you know, the shit disappears yeah. like the weather, you know, speaking I mean? of Hollywood and it's fickle ways. <laughs> yeah. uh, -huh. uh, fingers, fingers fucking crossed. Um, Fingers and toes crossed for you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, it's, this has been wonderful, Emily. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, um, is there anything that you want to plug right now? Is there anything coming out that you want to advertise? Or uh, Yeah, actually. And it's not as a performer. It's as a producer. Um, there is a short series that I produced with a fellow writer-narrator um, called Nice and Naughty. Mm -hmm. And you can go to the website is lovebitesoriginals.com. Um, that's bytes as in computer bytes. <laughs> um, and it's the first of what will hopefully become an entire world of short stories that we've created that are, the first half is a, a romance and the second half is an erotica. Um, so you can kind of choose your own adventure if you want to not listen to one or the other. <laughs> um, and then in between is a very delectable double entendre filled recipes that are related to, so baking recipes. So you can like <laughs> really make cool. some cookies or a cake while you're listening to some <clears throat> content. Um, <laughs> it's adults. This is 18 plus, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, there's there it's based in Queens and it's super diverse and we we really cared about that and it's short stories like I said, it's five episode or five episodes in a season and each episode is only like half an hour forty minutes long something mm -hmm. like that so it's super digestible <laughs> and um, yeah we're pretty proud of it and we're excited to be making more so very fucking cool so uh, what's the deal with the baking stuff are you a big baker is that where this comes from where the recipes come I from I mean. I love baking, sure, but no, it would just, it came out of, um, one of our, was a writer that, that, uh, my partner knows she, she is a big baker and also a writer and they had collaborated together and there's a character, <clears throat> the main character in the story is their, their Nana, the, the grandmother and Nana was a baker and that was how she brought together the entire family. So it's, it's a way to like, to connect the family and I mean, food. 
right? It's mm-hmm. like when we all come together. Mm-hmm. So, 100%. Yeah, it just made sense for the story. So then we were like, hey, this might be fun if we like had some, you know, talk about the, the dollop of the red cherry on that whipped cream, <laughs> you know. It's, it's just like, it's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 fun. So well, I love it. I love you know. I don't know if you've seen the other episodes we do in the show, but I do a lot about food and a lot about barbecue because for me, oh cool, food yeah. is like cooking. I love cooking because cooking is like a yes. it's essentially a tiny movie every night. Like I get to create an emotional journey for whoever gets to eat totally. my food every night. Um, and yeah. I, I I love that I you like guys that. are incorporating the baking and that it is a family sort of. Uh, center, like a hub, because I grew up that way, but a lot of folks didn't. A lot of folks were TV dinner kids and and didn't have that sort of connection. And I think that's the best. Like if, if I'm hanging out with folks or directing people in another language that I don't speak and I'm hanging out, the best, easiest way to connect with anybody is to make them a meal. Make them a fucking sandwich. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yes. Yep, you can get the way. roughest, gruffest dude to go like, oh, this is really great. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> okay, I got you, buddy. <laughs> right. right, or a teeny tiny petite woman just like scarfing things down and like showing you her true colors, right? Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's my favorite, especially with like, <laughs> especially with actors and actresses because everybody's showing up and they're all concerned and they're doing it. And it's just, that's what I do on the show. It's too bad we couldn't do it in person because out of, um, out of COVID, what I would do is just have food and just have like two two guests and we're just chomping on microphones. It just sounds terrible. <laughs> That's a fun sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's not for the audience. This show's for us, man. This isn't for people listening. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the whole point. So what did you think? I really like Emily. She's a cool person. Uh, it seemed like her and I were able to like connect really quickly. And um, I'm just really excited for her. Like I think the work that she's doing now is just emotionally fantastic. Um, and she has figured out, smartly figured out a way to have a career in this business uh, where she is still able to create characters, she is still able to touch us emotionally, and now she's in this producing aspect of things where she's producing a series of writing stuff. Um, it's just fantastic. It's really cool to meet people like this that love the craft, that really understand their craft, um, and that figured out a way to make a living at it so that they can survive doing it, which ultimately is good for us because that means we get to hear more stuff from them. Um, and if you guys haven't checked it out yet, and if, maybe you're not going to play Cyberpunk, but you can actually go check out the scenes, the cut scenes um, from the game, and you can hear her performance. And they're really fucking great. But if you really want the extent of it, definitely play it through. Uh, because you'll hear her character go from being sort of a two-dimensional character when we're introduced to her to becoming this emotional crutch. For us by the end of the game um it's really fun i really enjoy it um and i gotta look and see we'll put links to the books that she's done but i'm gonna go check them out and see 
if there is a book that I want to hear that she's read, just so I can hear her voice for a little while <laughs> in the most uncreepy way possible, uh, just because she does such a great job with it. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for watching. It's weird doing uh, a show where I'm in front of the camera. Uh, maybe this will happen more regularly now that we're getting out of COVID. I'm recording this episode uh, post-second vaccine shot. Um, I got hit really hard with that second uh, Moderna shot. It was like three days out of commission. And even still now, I still... Have you guys noticed this after the shot? It's been over a week. I'm still sweating every night. Sweating through the fucking sheets. What the fuck? You know? It's crazy. Um, but I'm excited. Another week. And uh, then I can hang out. And then I can hang out and kiss you in, in real life. Share a drink. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, so expect to see bigger and better things as the world changes on this podcast. And I won't be doing a lot of these in here because I just don't think this sort of video thing is interesting enough. Let me know if I'm wrong. Let me know if you like to see my face when we do this show. Send me a message on Instagram. Be like, dude. I don't care if the quality sucks. We want to see video. Let me know. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. I really want to do high quality video for you guys in a real studio space. So we'll see if we can make that work. And you can see why I did it for today's show because uh, we always hear Emily. And I wanted you guys to see the face behind Pan Am. I wanted you to see the actual human being that created that character. So you're welcome. All right, enough ranting, enough rambling. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for watching. And uh, as always, you will hear me next Tuesday. <laughs>